I am very grateful to be here today. In no way trying to replace Pastor Allen, but wanting to, before you, thank God for him. And to make sure you know that he sent an email praying for us this morning. Even though he's back there in the deep south doing ministry for his wife, whose mother passed. I am so grateful for his ability to do the things that I think are so important as a pastor. And I want you to carry these for a moment as you think in terms of Mike, the candidate that's coming next Sunday morning. As best I understand the scriptures, a pastor is the same word as elder, as overseers, and as shepherd. And as best I understand the scriptures, a shepherd has four major roles, all of which Alan seems to do well and certainly satisfies the needs that Betty and I have. First of all, he leads, and then he feeds, and then he defends. But most importantly, in my mind, a shepherd knows the sheep. And when I saw this opportunity of being able to share with you and hopefully have God the Holy Spirit use me in a way that we would be able to look up and to hear his voice speak to us through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit, I thought in terms of what do I know about you? Not much. Uh, Betty and I have had health issues, as you know, for the 10 months that we've been here and unable to socialize, unable to get to know you. But I do know one thing, and I know it well. That is, you excel at greeting, at welcoming, and we, Betty and I, have experienced your unconditional acceptance, and we appreciate that and want to thank you for that. So I felt like before the Lord, I need to do something, both to do two things. I need to thank you for the way that you unconditionally have accepted us, but secondly, I need to nudge you to keep on doing it. Just as we prayed as Ben led us, the prayer was our Father. There are four different major metaphors of the scriptures about what a local church is. They are the three B's, bride, body, building. And there's the fourth one, the F, which is family. You excel as a family. We prayed our Father. In fact, we are called Christians, and the word Christian means son of. Even in the scriptures, John points out that Jesus is our brother who gave his life for us. And I like the word family. It emphasizes a lot of things. When we think in terms of bride, what intimacy, what love, what commitment, what vows are made? And Jesus Christ is our bridegroom. When we think of us as a Christian group of people who are a part of a building, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.9, we are God's building. Christ is the chief cornerstone, and we are a part of the place where we defend one another. We have a place like this, a building that God has given us to use in which we can both defend one another, be safe from the weather, but also meet just to encourage and to enjoy and to worship together. The third B is, is really Paul's favorite. It's the word body, in which Jesus Christ is the head and 
as we have seen and practiced this morning, we're also different. We have different abilities, both in music and leading and sharing. And God has chosen to use us different as we are, weird, we might say, to do those things that allow for ministry. In fact, it's a wonderful thing that as weird as we are and as different as we are, that God fits us together. It's a very important aspect. But I like the whole idea of family, and I have appreciated your unconditional acceptance of us as family. Before I lead us in prayer, I want to start with a story. The farmer has a dog, and the dog has puppies, and it's time. And so the dog goes to the family that has the, these dogs here, has the farmer go out, and he makes a sign out here, and he's fixing it all together, and he goes out to the chain-link fence in front of the house, and he starts to attach it up, and he's attaching it like this, when all of a sudden the little voice down below says, Mister, I want a puppy, because the sign says four puppies for sale. The farmer says to the little boy, these, these puppies are, they're well-bred, and they're quite expensive. And with that, the little boy goes down into his pocket, and he reaches for everything he can find, and he brings it up, and he starts taking the coins from one hand to the other, and he finally says, I've got 39 cents. Is that enough? Can I see the puppies? And, of course, the farmer gulps and then says, sure you can. He turns around, and he says, Dolly, come on out, Dolly. And Dolly comes out, a big, fluffy, furry dog. And as Dolly comes toward the chain-link fence where the farmer and the little boy are, the first of these little fur balls starts coming down the slide and coming over toward the chain-link fence. First one, then two, then three, and finally four. The little boy is all smiles. The farmer is all smiles. Even Dolly has a prideful smile about what she has produced. Until a little fluffy ball pops his head out of the doghouse and he just begins to kind of nudge his way. The best he can do is to get on the ramp that is coming out of the doghouse and kind of slide his way on down. The little boy looks at the farmer and he says, Mister, I want that one. And the farmer says, No, 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 no. You don't he can't play, he can't do anything. He's just a runt of the litter and he's really in bad shape. The little boy lifts his pant leg to show a steel brace on his leg and to show a customized metal shoe that was given to him. And he says, mister, we don't have to run. We don't have to play. But we'll understand each other. And I think in terms of the grace of God toward us. There are lots of things we can't do we wish we could do. There are lots of ways in which we do not qualify to be taken or to be sold. And it's at that point the farmer goes over And he picks up the little runt and he puts it in the arms of the little boy. And the little boy says, how much? And the farmer says, there's no cost. There's no cost for love. That's our God. Now let us pray.
Father, amazing that you listen to us when you know more than we could tell you. You learn nothing new, and yet you desire. No wonder David would say, I love the Lord because he listens to me. I thank you, Father, that you are there and that you care and that you've given us the freedom of this country to be able to stop and to listen to you, be able to stop and worship you, to tell you that we love you, to confess our sins before you, to be led by you and enabled by you to do those things that you have for us, to give us purpose for being here, not only to enjoy you, but to fulfill your purpose for us, whatever that is. We are parts of the body, and we are so different, and yet you've got a role for every one of us, and we just want to say thank you. Not that we had to qualify to get your love, for you are God of grace, and we thank you for that. Now we ask that you receive our thanks for what it is you're going to do as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll see that uh, there is an outline for you, and I would encourage you to follow along. There are four blanks for you to, to fill in as we go, and hopefully that will aid all of us for attention of what we're going to do, as well as the outline is provided for a way of being able to go over it afterwards, for I hope that which God has given us is worthy of meditation and of application in our lives together. Amazing grace to get and to give in that order. The scriptures that we have read this morning are from Romans chapter 15 and verse uh, 7 especially. And I'm going to not read those as they've already read, but I would give you my own paraphrase. My paraphrase goes like this. Some of us Christians have strong faith and need to lift up those who are not strong in faith. Seek out other Christians and ask how we may help. That's what Jesus did. Even bearing our troubles weight. That's what Jesus did. May God grow us into peaceful relationships. And may we even sing praises, giving glory to our God with one another. So, go proactive with unconditional acceptance with one another, just like Jesus did for us on the cross. You have listed in the bulletin that theme, repeating what we just said, as Paul often did. We thank you, and then we nudge you to unconditional accept one another, just as Jesus did on Calvary. And all of this part adds up to how to glorify God. For the intention of the phrase is not what we do, but why we do it. That is, we want God to get credit. We want to lift him up for both us to worship and for the world to see him as the light of the world. It's always important to do context. Uh, Denominations and churches have started by taking a verse, taking a passage, and not considering the wholeness of it all. Uh, Pastor Allen excels in doing that for us. The book of Romans is a strange uh, book. I would say if you have to throw all the other 65 away, that's the one I'm going to keep. And the reason I'm going to keep it is not because the others are not needed, but because it's got the strongest 
development of doctrine of who Christ is and how sinful we really are and how to solve the problem between a holy God and a sinful man. The context that is here uh, goes of something like this, as you can see it. Paul thanks the Roman Christians for their great faith. That's chapter 1 and verse 5. And then he immediately calls them unrighteous. And as if it isn't strong enough, he goes on to 3.23 to say, For all, including you, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet what comfort comes from chapter 5 and verse 8, that while we were still sinning, not when we stopped, but while we are, some have said spitting in his face. That's when Christ died for us. So then, let's have strong Christians lift up the not-so-strong Christians just as Jesus did for us. He saved us because we couldn't save ourselves. He gave us unconditional acceptance. And the bottom line, the purpose of it all, that is how Jesus Christ is glorified. Today, I'll interchange the words praise and, and glorification, not quite the same, but all of them have to do with just worshiping God, giving him thanks, and acknowledging how he is a God of grace and wanting to be able to get a hold of some of the appreciation of that, as well as to possess it in order to give to one another. So we're going to be going into the outline, and we'll start right off with something that's familiar to you, in which you can shout out the fill-in that belongs there. It goes like this, amazing grace, how, how, how sweet, fill in the word sweet, the sound that would save a wretch like me. Many of you may be familiar with it, but Mr. Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, welcome to the neighborhood. For 30 years, closed every program that he had with the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I hope you saw the film. It was a worthwhile film of a man that uh, studied for the ministry and then decided that he could do better with kids. And so he went into a children's type ministry, eventually coming on TV for those uh, 30 years. I also want to share with you the, the story that may be somewhat familiar to you, how Amazing Grace came along and how unconditional acceptance belonged to one man, his name, John Newton. Uh, John Newton, at age four, lost his mother. And she was the one that cuddled him and held him and loved him and forgave him. When she died, he was at a loss, for his father was mean and uncaring and really didn't want him around at all. Eventually shipped him down to the harbor where he could get a job as a, so to speak, busboy aboard a slave ship. And while he was there, he just received more ill treatment and became more mean because of the meanness that had been given to him. It was later he got transferred to another slave ship. And on this slave ship, the captain's wife happened to be black. And he was anti-black and she hated him. And so he received more punishment, more meanness from that. But it was also on that same ship that he happened to read a book that many of you have read entitled The Imitation of Christ. In reading that, God the Holy Spirit so worked in him that he became a child of God. He became forgiveness. But as is often happens, growth didn't take place. And so for the next 10 years, he became a captain of a 
slave trading ship. And it was only because of a horrible storm that our God brought it along for him that he finally realized, I need Jesus to be my Lord. As John 1.12 says, to receive him and to believe in him, both of them are positive. He believed, but he hadn't received him to run his life. And everything changed when that took place. Do you know that he, with William Wilberforce, for maybe 20 years, worked in England to be abolitionist and to get rid of the slave problem that was there in England and became the germ thought for our own country to finally work on the issue of, of slaves. It was he who fought and fought and fought until he came up with this thought of what is this all about and wrote for us amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Later on in life, in his mid-60s, he realized that death was coming. And his words uh, that I quote now are, I don't remember a whole lot, but these two things I do remember. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I had Isaiah 53 for our reading this morning because to appreciate the grace of God is to remember what Jesus went through. And I, I hate and love the description at the same time of the words about Jesus in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He was despised. He was hated. He was rejected, accepted by no one. Even his own disciples had struggles. Even his own brothers and sisters had struggles with him, accepting him believing him, and receiving him as well. I like the hymnal, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I want to give a little slant that's a little different for what amazing grace is all about and for the fact that God has been so good in unconditionally accepting us. I want us to take a look at Colossians chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14, which talk about this phrase. He has canceled our certificate of debt, nailing it to a cross. In order to appreciate that and what Jesus did for us on the cross in this unconditional acceptance, we have to go to the Roman Empire of those days. In the Roman Empire... At that time, as you know, even the Jews could not do anything serious in any court without the Roman court approval. Uh, Much of the world's uh, Roman, uh, much of the world's legal system have developed out of or against the way the Romans did court. Typically, they would put a list together of all the sins that any one person had done and bringing them into court. And there before the judge would be told that everything that they'd ever done was against Caesar himself, and the Romans considered Caesar a kind of God. And as those things were dealt with one by one, there was a penalty attached to each one. The penalty was usually time in jail, although sometimes could be crucifixion or death by some other means. On that list that was there, the prisoner would have this on his jail cell listed for him to have before him. 
He was known for his list. When Jesus went to the cross, the sixth word on the cross was, it is finished. It's just one Greek word in the New Testament, to telestai. If and when he had paid his penalty by going through a prison series, let's say, of 20 years, he would get the same list back taken off the wall and on the back side of that piece of paper, that certificate of debt, not to be confused with other D- CDs like certificates of deposit, certificate of debt, was the word to telestai. All bills paid, all penalty, penalties received. That is our wonderful gift of God. That is his unconditional acceptance. He paid the penalties for us. Maybe it is just for me that I'm mindful of what Paul wrote in Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us and he forgave us. Each of us in growing up are encouraged by parents and by peers or by others that we need to do certain things in order to be accepted. In almost every case, those things hurt our possibility of wanting only the unconditional acceptance that God gives us through Jesus Christ on the cross. Remembering again, he canceled our debt only by nailing it to the cross. It was on that cross that it all took place for us. I tried sports. I tried leadership to try to be somebody. But I only became somebody when I received Jesus Christ, believed in his death on the cross for me at age 20. It had begun and still continues. I don't have to do anything to love God. I remember that a lady committed her three children to Betty and my uh, care if and when she were to die because she was sick at the time. It wasn't much longer when she just came with a terrible problem that she thought God hated her, and that's the reason that she was sick. It was a wonderful moment when God the Holy Spirit showed her that God cannot love you more or less. God is love. That grace is there no matter what we do. That unlike all of mankind and every one of us on how we deal with other people, God is not that way. He is the God who unconditionally accepts. I'm borrowing for something that Alan did a few weeks ago of the $20 bill. Do you remember when he shared with us? How many of you, if I gave this to you, how many of you would want this $20 bill? May I see your hands? Most of you are so rich you don't. But what, what if... I take this and crumple it up like this. How many of you still want it? What if I throw it on the ground, rub it on in, stomp it all over the place, and pick it back up and ask you, how many of you still want this $20 bill? What if I tore this $20 bill so that only 60% of it was left and I we're willing to give you the 60%, how many of you would still want the $20 bill? Because you can go to a bank with 60% of it and they'll give you a brand new one. The value never changes. And that's the way we are. We get stomped on, we get dirty, we get crumpled up. People think us of no value. 
but made in the image of God and because Jesus Christ died for every one of us, whether we believe, whether we receive, he is the Savior of the world, is what Paul writes to Timothy. We are like that $20 bill. No matter what happens to us, God's love and God's unconditional acceptance never changes. That's our first point. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But secondly, I want us to consider the abundant praise to God as we were to fill in, imitate, imitate him. It's an amazing thing that Paul would dare to write 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. I, I could never write that. I could think it, but I could never write that. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Thank you for the qualifier. But to, to me, I don't know that I've ever been 1% holy. I've had seconds in which all of a sudden God has done something good through me. But by and large, I'm still dominated by a self-nature of, what about me? And as you can imagine, even in giving care to my wife, uh, Betty, um, there are those sneaky moments in which, what about me, that come in. And I suspect that every one of us would have to raise hands on, yes, I have some what about me moments that come along. And yet Paul would be able to recognize that as something big. As I imitate Christ, I want you to imitate me. His death was selfless. His death was what he didn't want to do, nor anyone else wanted to do. That's a hard thing. You're going to die for the world that doesn't care. You're going to die when your father said, you've got to go ahead and do it even though you don't want to do it. The agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, for me, is the great moment in which Jesus Christ said, not my will, but thy will uh, be done. And so it is on putting others first and wanting to unconditionally accept them no matter what they have done to us. Uh, uh, son-in-law John read the second quote that I put on the front page for you of wanting to reconcile with parents because parents have a tremendous influence on us, both for good and for evil. But even as I'm pushing on this, I have to go back and say, what about the apostles? And I need to recognize that the 12 apostles were not good friends. They had struggles. For example, Peter, James, and John got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration and see the appearance of Elijah and Moses. And God speaking that word of, this is my beloved son, listen to him. They got to be at different kinds of miracles that Jesus did, only the three. What are the other nine thinking? When do I get to go? When is my turn? How come they're the favorites? There had to be that kind of interplay of relationships and struggles for them. Don't you agree? There are three of them that are somewhat mentioned. Andrew is there for getting the little boy's lunch for the feeding of the 5,000. Philip is there for being able to introduced to the Samaritans who are hated that God loved them and the gospel was available to them. Thomas gets mentioned, but only as as a doubter. But who would not be moved by that great time in which it doesn't look like he necessarily touched Jesus after the resurrection, but he cries out, my Lord and my God. But the other six, 
You don't even know their names. There had to be inter-struggles between them. And yet when I get to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14, it says all of the disciples, after Jesus has ascended up, gather together in an upper room, and there it says they are one in prayer. They're still one. They still have that wonderful ability to praise God together. It was an abundant praise time for them. One of the other things that I need to address is before I ever try to give unconditional to other people is that I can't do it. I've got to have help. I've got to receive the unconditional acceptance of God. I've got to know that God loves me whether I make it or break it. It's a very important thing, and I've put together a little phrase that I often practice. When it comes to loving other people, to offering grace to other people, to giving unconditional acceptance to other people, I haven't got it. I've got to get it. Then I can give it. I haven't got it. I've got to get it. And then I can give it. We are so dependent on God the Holy Spirit to enable us and to help us do it for no other reason than to love other people in the same way that Jesus Christ loves us. It's also important that we always remember we are unconditionally accepted. And the, we may go out and unconditionally accept other people, but patting ourselves on the back for having done it. There's self involved again very easily. Without a doubt, perhaps the most tactful book that was ever written was Paul's letter to Philemon, just 25 verses. If you're familiar with the story, you know that Philemon was one person that Jesus Christ helped, I mean that Paul helped know Jesus Christ personally. And he had a runaway slave, his name was Onesimus, he took off to Rome and somehow while Paul still was in prison, he ran into Onesimus, maybe he was in a prison cell right next door. But there Paul was enabled to give him the unconditional acceptance of God, and he became a Christian. Who knows what was going on in the conversation that took place, but we do know this, that Paul said, hey, you've got to go back to the slave owner. You've got to go back to Philemon. You've got to fess up. You've got to take whatever penalty he wants to give to you. And we remember well that the penalty in those days, at worst, was a F branded on your forehead so that everybody knew that you were a fugitive, a runaway. But oftentimes they were killed, sometimes they were mutilated. One story tells us of a slave owner who threw his slave into a pond of piranha and was eaten alive by the fish. But Philemon, chapter 17, verse 17, says this. Hey, Philemon, you know how I unconditionally accepted you? You know how God unconditionally accepted you? I want you to take that unconditional acceptance and now give it to Onesimus, the runaway slave. Paul writes that letter in such a way that it's kind of like there's no way that he can say no. Because Paul piles on all the things that have happened in his life. In those good moments that I have with the Lord, God continues to tell me, hey, I will never give you more than you can handle. I love you and know all about you. I only have good in mind, for that's who I really am. As a young lad, I remember the activity of Branch Rickey, 
who was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he took a chance by letting the first black become a baseball player on the Brooklyn Dodgers. His name, Jackie Robinson. He's still celebrated. His wife still goes about touting how wonderful he was as a man. The first day he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he played in second base, and a ball came out, and he reached down, and it somehow bounced around, and it was given an error. With no help, thousands, tens of thousands of people in the stands all got up and began to lustily boo him on and on until Pee Wee reached the shortstop, ran, not walked, ran all the way over, put his arm around him. It didn't change the heart of the crowds, but there was no noise to be heard. They were silenced by the unconditional acceptance of Pee Wee Reese toward Jackie Robinson in that day. <laughs> Today, it's a wonderful thing for the black people, for they have done so well in the different kinds of sports that Americans have allowed them uh, to do, and I rejoice in that. Let me capsulize how Paul did all this. He did it with 1 Corinthians In verse 5 of chapter 1, he tells the Corinthians, Hey, I want to thank you. You have been so good as teachers. You have been so good in preaching. And you're just full of wisdom. Your IQs are wonderful. But then, he immediately, after thanking them, nudges into them and gives them the five great, huge problems of Corinth. I've never heard of a Christian church called the Corinthian Christian Church. Have you? Who wants to have that kind of an image of the awfulness that the Corinthians offered at that time? Then he goes on and launches off with the first thing, and that was a division. The number one problem for Corinth was they kept dividing into little groups and giving their own names to those groups as they had them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Abundant praise to God as we imitate him and do unconditional acceptance. Leading us to our third and final point. And that is, the appealing Paul nudges us to keep on faithfully, unconditionally accepting ourselves as well as other people. It's time to tell you why I was so impressed to go this route. When we moved here last July, on each of the first three nights that we were here, three different families here brought us a full dinner. We were unconditionally accepted. Even now, my wife Betty and I cannot stand for prayer, cannot stand for singing, can't do a lot of things, can't socialize afterwards. We haven't got it to do it, but unconditionally accepted. We are so grateful for your unconditional acceptance to us. As a brand new Christian of 20, I went to a church that had hundreds of college kids. And as I went in for the very first time, we weren't far into the thing, and all of a sudden I heard this song belted out, We welcome one, we welcome all, to First Press College Hall. We're really glad you came today. And then they all burst out, hugging, greeting, getting to know one another. And of course we wanted to go back after that kind of a welcome, that kind of a greeting. I found an article of a study of why people go back to church a second time. I want to give you the results. 
there were some 30 different multiple answers that came through. I only want to give you one, two, and three in reverse order. The number three reason people went back to church a second time, that having been there just that one uh, kind of test case of, I wonder whether or not I would ever go back to this church. The number three reason was somebody talked to them after the service. The number two reason why people went back to church for a second time was somebody thanked them for coming. But the number one reason why people went back to church the second time was somebody asked their name. Important clues for us of how it is that we unconditionally accept one another. Paul bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven is named. We are family. God has gifted you as a family. Practicing family includes unconditional acceptance. But there are rules on how to do this. I'm giving you three rules. They're listed for you. The rule of doing welcoming of other people revolves around the iron rule, the golden rule, or the grace rule. I mention it because I'm involved in all that and fight against it, and I suspect that perhaps you do too. The iron rule, usually used in a negative way, but not necessarily true, is do unto others before they do it to you. It can be positive. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the grace rule, the one I aspire to move into and be at home with, the grace rule is do unto others as Christ has done unto us on Calvary. To to accept unconditionally any and every person that comes our way. We have tools in our toolbox for doing this. The greatest one is a purpose. I get to please God. I get to love God. I get to glorify God when I unconditionally accept other people. That's, that's the heart of why. That's really there. But also we're given some other things, and that is we can smile. I don't smile well, but I can still try. We can ask other people's names. We can welcome words with thank you for coming or uh, sure is great to have you here today. And there are also times for appropriate touch. It can be a fist bump or it can be a hug around or it can be nothing more than a handshake. But oftentimes touch makes a lot of difference for people feeling accepted. You never get a second chance to make a good first impression. It's important that we unconditionally, continually accept one another. My memory verse last week was Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. In order to be able to keep my eyes on Jesus and remember how he unconditionally accepts me, I've got to keep looking. As the author of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I implore you, as I implore myself, a continual need to stay in the Gospels, not as the only book, but as the place where we best find Jesus and how he unconditionally accepted other people. 
there's a need to stay in that story of him, which is his story and really a large part of all of history. But that verse says to meditate. I spent some time on that word. There's only one way to understand the word meditation. It's used with meditation transcendentally and all the other ways of the medication, meditation is always the same. It's always a cow, and it's always a cow that chews grass. And then as it chews the grass, it slowly munches, chewing the cud, long and carefully, slowly. And all of that slow deliberation equals digestion. It's not reading the word, as the pastor Alan told us. It's not even studying the word. It's letting it get a hold of us till we say, God, what do you want me to do with this? How can I be more like you? How can I imitate you? How can I be an unconditional, accepting person? Meditation is that which is necessary. One of my vows of, of my three promises for this year is to go more slowly in my time in the word. To take a little more time in order to some chewing of the cud to take place within my heart and within my head. One of my heroes of the faith was Joe Blinko, who used to be with the Billy Graham Crusade, and he got up one time to speak on Philippians 3.10 that says that I know him. And he was stopped being saved. Don't you know him, Joe Blinko? And he said, oh, I know him, but I don't know him. I know a little bit about him, but I continually need to know him. In the Greek language, there's a word for know that just means gathering the facts, and there's another word that means to know him, and Paul likes to use a word that's, that has to do with getting to know him more and more and more. With our eyes on Jesus, then we can appreciate his amazing grace. Then we can more and better imitate him. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can nudge one another with the example of doing this kind of thing. That's where I'm him today. That's where I thank you. That's where I nudge you. And I have three words of application. I want to thank God for being able to speak to you about unconditional acceptance. I want to thank you for doing so much of unconditional acceptance toward Betty, my wife, and myself. I want to thank you that one little act of Unconditional acceptance can make a great deal in people's lives. And I have a hero. His name is Thurman Brewer. He has been at the front door of his church in Seattle for 52 years. His age is 86. And he's known, and people always speak about him, as the great big smile from ear to ear and a hearty welcome to anybody and everybody who comes to that door. When you mention the name of that church, many people say, oh, you mean Thurman Brewer. I want us to grow into being like that, of having a smile and a word of welcome, of helping people know that Jesus Christ on the cross, having canceled all of our sins, nailing them to that cross unconditionally, accepts us just as we are. We don't have to change to be loved. We change to please him or to grow him. And we ask God to help us get there. Father, you must do the work. You are the only one who can change us. But I do pray, Father, that you would encourage this family 
for how well you've already grown them in this area. And I pray, Father, that you would help us keep on growing in order to please you, in order to glorify you, in order to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.